Okay, welcome everyone to um, Alia Graphics, uh, I want to say third webinar. Um, we've been doing these annually um, to uh, really promote the uh, comics to, to libraries and, and all this and answer some burning questions. And um, this time, uh, the theme is let's get practical answering your questions. So we're really putting putting that to the test. We've, um, we had uh some uh uh we asked for questions we got we got quite a few um so the way that we're going to structure this webinar um is all of the questions that we've received beforehand we've um divided amongst us we're we're all going to talk to to different aspects of it hopefully um we're going to to answer them um as you as you needed um, and then we're going to at the end of um that uh, we've got time put aside for questions that you have today. So if you didn't get a chance to to submit your questions or if you've thought of something in the meantime or if something comes up while we're talking, there'll be a bit of time at the end to um, uh, for us to answer those. Um, so before we go any further, do we want next slide, please, Gabby? So... I would like to acknowledge, or as as a group, we would like to um, uh, following acknowledgement as a national group based across the land that we call Australia. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay respect to the elders, past and present, of all First Nations people across the land and thank them for their rich storytelling traditions. Um, and next slide, please. Thank you, Gabby. Um, so we're a um for those of you who don't know how alia groups work um special interest groups are national um they're supported by alia but they're run um by a team of volunteers all of the committee are, are volunteers um we aim to support uh library staff um interested in all aspects of collection development advocacy and program related to graphic novels and comics across australia um, as you can see, we're currently a bit. The committee itself is is a bit um, East Coast heavy, um, but we're always looking for new members. If you're um, from uh, one of those areas that uh, that doesn't have an arrow pointing to it, or even if you are, um, do please get in touch after the um, after the webinar, and we'll we'd be very happy to have you um, to talk to you about how to how to get involved and uh, what to do about that. Um, so I'm James. Uh, I'm, as I just said, um, I'm from the Melbourne Athenaeum Library in, in Melbourne. Um, do you want to quickly go through the other committee members, introduce yourselves um, while we've got this up? Sure. I'm Jergi. I'm from Kingston Libraries in Victoria. And uh, Marisa, you're next. Oh, I am, am I? Um... <coughs> I'm Marissa, and I'm also in the Melbourne area. Yep. And uh, Jade? Yeah, so I'm Jade. It's really nice to be here with you all, and I'm from University of Sydney Libraries. And Gabby, you're uh, next on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, everyone. I'm Gabby. Um, I'm from uh, Blacktown uh, City Libraries uh, in New South Wales. And Rebecca. And me. Hello, I'm Rebecca. I am from Redlands in Queensland. I'm from Redland Libraries. Oh. So uh, that's us. Um, and 
without any further ado, let's let's get into it. Let's get on to question time. Uh, but the, the the fun one, not the boring Parliament one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think our first questions that we that we got were related to manga, and uh, I think Gabby was going to get us started with these. No. Yes, or uh, no, uh, Yergi was yeah. going to start a little. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm going to get started with this one. So yeah, um, yeah, we received quite a few questions about manga, and I think there's a good reason for it. Uh, manga at the moment rules the world. Um, it's interesting also that in manga, actually, uh, more so than in comics and graphic novels in general, there's actually quite um, a similar readership of male and female. Um, still more male readers, but uh, it's definitely uh, more uh, even. And it's actually growing. So female readership is also growing and uh, female readership of manga is um, is quite significant and it's actually higher than in general with comics and graphic novels. In Australia, manga sales uh, were up 86% in 2021. That's the last data that I could find. And not only that, but also uh, the top 10 graphic novels in Australia were all manga according to books and publishing as well in 2022. And of course, manga uh, sales are huge in the US and a, a, a very huge percentage of the market. And this is not only happening in Australia and the US, it's actually happening all over the world. Uh, so manga sales all over the world, um, in the US, in Canada, in uh, European countries, in Australia is up. So there is a reason why probably you may have noticed uh, maybe more requests for manga and things like that. So that's why we're talking about it. Next slide. Yeah, so the um, the first question that uh, we're going to cover today is about um, arranging your manga uh, section. <clears throat> so uh, as a group, I think we've probably stated before, um, we love for like the graphic novel collection to have their own space within their um, sort of age group. So within the children's section, having your fiction uh, section and then having a dedicated space for the uh, children graphic novels. Uh, also with the young adult uh, collection and then all the way up to adults. Um, but because of the sort of the art style and the format, um, we think that manga should be obviously with this collection, but have its own space. Um, either, you know, sort of have your manga and then sort of your Western graphic novels or, you know, the other way around, however you would like to <laughs> um, organise your collection. Um, and it, it is very uh, sort of branch specific. I know um, in my library service, uh, we actually have them all interfiled um, across the different branches. It's a floating collection, our manga collection. Um, and I'll just go to the next slide. Um, because you can see, it. so our graphic novels do have their own section, um, but the, the manga are interfiled with the Western and it just makes it a bit cluttered. <laughs> um, due to the you know the format the, the readers that are reading manga you know they they go there <laughs> they can sort of uh see the volumes that you have they can uh, experience other other series um 
but yeah, when it's sort of interfiled, it, 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 it does get a bit cluttered. Um, or I believe it was Northern Beaches Library that I um, heard them speak about their manga collection. They actually centralised uh, their collection across two branches. Uh, so they pulled in all of their manga from across the branches. Uh, it gave them an opportunity to uh, look at their the specific series, uh, see what volumes they had, what volumes were missing. Uh, they could weed and sort of uh, arrange their manga um, across two of their branches. Uh, and then it, you know, has helped with uh, the... Uh, yes, it has helped uh, with readers finding specific volumes. Um, and they've just let me know in the chat that they're going to be opening up to all branches as it has become so popular again. Uh, but, yeah, a great way to uh, arrange your manga collection. And I think, think that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So um, the next question has to do with weeding. And, Rebecca, you said you could handle this one? Yes. So um, just to kind of say what the question was, that there. The, when it comes to weeding manga, it is hard to know what to weed because I have limited shelf space and I don't want to break up series. What are your suggestions? So this is something I deal with a lot in my library service. Um, so I think the very first point to make is to really learn yourself and then also communicate to staff that uh, manga is does not run like a, uh, most other collections. It's quite special. There are um, plenty of volumes and uh, the way that we kind of describe it here, which I find is quite interesting um, to teach people how that works, is to think of it as a TV series. So if you miss three episodes in the middle of a, you know, a long TV series, you're not going to keep watching it. You're not going to be invested because you've missed in vital stuff. And that's how manga works. So if you are finding your manga collection um, is missing parts, uh, that is, it's not going to get checked out. Um, so there's a few things to do around that. Um, the first is to just replace the missing titles if possible, not worrying about that it's an older, you know, a 2010 One Piece or anything like that. If you can get it, it's worth it because it's going to make the rest of those volumes in that series um, work for you. Um, the only thing is sometimes you do have to look outside of traditional library suppliers. Uh, so you might have to go to maybe a local manga store if you're able to do this. Um, Booktopia has some, and I've noticed recently um, we've even saw some from BW. They're starting to do big box sets, which have been really good to describe and fill in a bunch of gaps in our collection. Um, so that's been quite good. Also, um, looking out to fill these gaps is um, popular titles will often get reprinted. So keep an eye on that, especially if you can see an anime is coming out based on that or has, they'll usually reprint it. Um, and if they don't reprint just the volume, they may reprint it in an omnibus, so three of the volumes in the one um, title. So that can actually be a really good um, space saver on your shelves as well because I know shelves space is such a premium uh, and mangas can take up a lot of space in that you need those long um, runs of manga. So it's worth kind of looking at that. Um, the, the last thing is if you do find that you can't fill gaps or um, you've tried and that series is just not performing for you, um, it's probably worth weeding that entire series rather than just ad hoc taking um, items through or letting them circulate or not circulate. Um, but a few things to consider when weeding part of uh, that collection is um, donations to schools. The schools absolutely cry out for Menda because it is so popular at the moment. 
um, but also maybe even creating a reciprocal agreement with a nearby library and if your collection that you're weeding can help fill their gaps um, and vice versa, that can be a really beneficial thing to look into. So um, that's just a brief touch on weeding manga. There's a lot out there, but I've just put two resources there, which we link to, I believe, on our website, is Manga and Libraries is a fantastic website, and they have a bunch of um, webinars recorded and things like that. And then the Manga Librarian is a fantastic website, and she actually has a few blogs specifically around weeding manga that I myself have found really useful. But I believe that's me. <laughs> So we received a question about, uh, you know, uh, some of our favorite uh, manga turned anime uh, kind of thing. So th these are some of our favorites. Um, we were only meant to choose one, but Marisa has a special uh, right to choose three uh, because she uh, reads so much manga and Rebecca has two as well. Uh, but yeah, yep. so these are some of our favorites um, that have been turned from manga to anime. And or vice versa. Yeah, or vice versa. Um, I put Vinland Saga, but I could have easily said many others. <laughs> Spy X Family rules as well at the moment. Yep, All right. That one is very popular. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and we have a there is a combination there too of um short and longer um series as well. So mm -hmm. um there is something there for pretty much every every niche um in your in your collection. So yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we've um, got different genres when the within this mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. We've got sports, we've got action adventure, we've got fantasy, we've got slice of life. Mm. It's doing all the things. Good work. Um, so the next question that we got was related to uh, narratology and how to apply that to comics and graphic no novels. Now, um, this is a complex thing. Narratology is the study of narrative and narrative structure, um, and I could get it very boring into uh, the difference in a in a story about narrative and discourse, but I'm sure that that's not what you're all interested in. Um, so I'll keep this at a surface level. Um, and I'll say that traditionally narratology um, has been focused on novels and texts like that. So um, very much text, not not text and image. And uh, even um, trying to look into how narrative works in film and stuff like that is something that is um, somewhat up underrepresented. Um, and in comics, this is this is particularly bad. Often, comics are used as examples of in in these things because um, we have a um, because it's uh, still in a in a printed form, so it's reproducible. Um, but they then tend not to talk about how the structure of comics informs the way that narrative is perceived and understood, and what that does to uh, and how that how that. Um, impacts the story and the um, the item as a whole, um, and comics narratology um, is very much looking at that specifically. So, yeah. Um, next slide, Gabby. Um, so, on this slide, there's this is just a quick um, uh, three-panel um, comic strip um, that that shows some of the uh, 
elements that are very specific to comics. So things like the panels and the layout and placement of um, of things, uh, the um, what the how the point of view is. So in a textbook. Um, it, that's only text you don't there's not quite so much of a focus on that um every panel with a comic you have to decide or the creator has to decide where the reader is viewing that panel from um there's uh speech bubbles um and in this case there are words outside of speech bubbles and what does that mean when the words aren't aren't there um how movement works you can see there's um movements from the um uh the lines the stance all of this suggests uh movement and dynamic poses and all of this um and then the passage of time so the uh three panels um are taking the temporal and making it spatial so as as time passes um, from past to future we're viewing from left to right so all of these are elements of the structure of comics and they play a part in how um narratology um is in um uh how how the the narrative is understood um so as far as what libraries can do um this is a um really good um uh example of why it's so important to be uh, familiar with the collection, familiar with how it how um, your collection functions, because um, these are these are important elements of how how comics work. And if you don't understand that, you can't put this sort of stuff into words. Um, when someone comes in looking for for a book um, and they're not quite sure what they're after, but you know you're trying to to get there. Um, this these elements are are useful um and understanding how how the elements are are executed are very useful in the um uh in in that reader's advisory and and helping uh members so mm. if this is something that does interest you um on the next uh slide we have the so these are some some good resources for comic structure and narratology. Um, first one, Understanding Comics by Scott McLeod. Um, the second one, uh, Unflattening by Nick Susanis. And the final one, The Narratology of Comic Art, Kai McConan. The first two are, are in um, graphic novel format. So they are um, panels and images and everything. The last one is is an academic text. It's all text It's and it's quite dense. It also goes from left to right, uh, most accessible to least accessible, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> so uh, um, that's uh, what we're doing. There is also, um, it's it's a website, so it doesn't have a, a nice cover to put on the slide, but there is also um, Romina Yi, um, who is an Australian um, comic creator, uh, has a um, is still putting together, I think, or has completed now. Uh, she's, launched be able to, now. she's launched it. Yes, yeah. um, a, a um, kind of a response almost to to understanding comics and and her her take on what um, what goes into it. And uh, we'll uh, put the Yogi can put the link in the chat because uh, it's. I had it open, and it's and yeah. when the the stuff decided we'll, to reset, we'll, it's not working. We'll but share we'll, the we'll, link. We'll share the link. Yep. 
Well, Shadowlink definitely, and I, I think this is a, a growing field and, mm. and a really important one. Uh, we need to understand how stories are told with comics, which is different because they are multimodal texts. And yeah. so it's definitely a growing field and uh, Reminergy's contribution is enormous. And it's amazing that she's uh, made these available on a website. It's available freely for everyone all around the world. So if you're a teacher, for example, and you're teaching um, uh, English and you're, and you're looking at different texts and you're looking at comics as multimodal texts, perfect resource to use. If you're a media studies teacher, perfect resource to use as well uh, because it really breaks down the different uh, devices that are unique to comics as well. Uh, uh, so, you know, because film has its own unique devices in storytelling, um, so does prose, so does poetry, and so does um, uh, so do comics as well. So, yeah, really amazing resource, and I'm sure someone will put uh, the link um, or otherwise I'll put it later, but yeah, let's keep going. Yep. So the next question we have has to do with representation of disabilities and neurodiversity. Gabby, you had some comments yes. on this one? <laughs> uh, yes. When we were looking at our, the questions for this webinar, we all sort of came across this one and, um, there was there was so many to pick from, <laughs> um, but for you know the purpose of this webinar, we've just sort of highlighted three um, that do uh, showcase uh, disabilities, neurodiversities uh, in graphic novels that aren't specifically like an illness, you know, one about illness or a superhero uh, narrative. Um, so the first one uh, is "My Aunt Is a Monster" by Renan Yee. Um, so Safia, this is a children's uh, graphic novel. Um, so, yeah, uh, Safia, she is uh, blind um, and she sort of accessed the world uh, via audiobooks. Um, and when things, uh, tragedy happens to her parents, she goes to live with her uh, reclusive auntie, um, Lady Whimsy, who you can see uh, is a bit monstrous looking. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so she wants to go on a great adventure. Lady Whimsy, uh, is one of the greatest adventurers of all time. Um, and yes, so it, it highlights, well, not highlights, it showcases sort of the, uh, Safia, um, but, you know, her disability doesn't slow her down and she, and she will become the next, um, uh, Great adventurer, world adventurer. Uh, so really fun one for a junior graphic novel. Uh, Stars in Their Eyes by uh, Jess Walton and Ashka. Um, a young adult graphic novel um, about two people that meet at uh, at FanCon and it sort of details, you know, their day. Um, Maisie is trying to meet her uh, favourite hero uh, and then she meets Ollie uh, and it's sort of like their day panned out and it's, you know, it's just such a lovely graphic novel. <laughs> and I believe this is the, it's just been reprinted in America and this is the uh, American cover. Uh, so our Australian uh, version is uh, black and white and then this one is now, it's re being reprinted in full colour. So very, very fun. And then the third one 
uh, we wanted to highlight is uh, a quick and easy guide to sex and disability. So it's a non-fiction uh, graphic novel written by A. Andrews, who uh, is a disabled cartoonist, um, and it's goes through, you know, the basics of disability, sexuality in such a lovely light and, you know, really positive way. Um, so these are just three. There are a lot more. So um, keep an eye on our blog and we are going to uh, create a, like a whole list and uh, we'll pop it up there. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. And then moving on. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's a gray yeah. area of the book challenges. Uh, ERG, so help. Well, moving on. Uh, th- this is one of the hot topics of the last few years, especially in the U.S. And unfortunately, it, it has landed in Australia as well this year. So we had a few challenges this year and uh, the, quite a few things happened. I'm just going to, um, James and Rebecca will talk uh, about it more, but I wanted to give a bit of a context and, you know, uh, at least to start talking about this. There is some gray area. So there is some gray area in terms of what is age appropriate um uh because what is age appropriate for one person and another person is different and it can be quite different okay uh what is uh young adult i think that's something that we actually need to talk about as a sector as well because what is young adult for uh publishers and what is young adult for libraries is different uh so it's something that we need to talk about um and it's this is not just related to comics; it's related to everything in general. Uh, uh, and because of that, of course, we need to talk about soft censorship as well. So, soft censorship is—I would describe it as something that you know, someone in the library decides, oh, you know, maybe let's just take this title off, you know, just to avoid any confrontation uh, or any controversy. Uh, and sometimes it's done, you know, with good intentions, but it's something that we need to be critical of um, and and really think about whether we should actually remove that title or not, because it's not our job to censor. And I think James will talk more about that. So, but the things that we know for sure are that um, freedom to read is one of the core principles of libraries. And uh, Alia and Apla uh, released a, a Freedom to Read statement this year. I invite you to read it, and they have mo- uh, uh, some resources there as well. And it's in the Alia website. And there is also a Freedom to Read committee. It's one of our core principles, and we need to defend it, and we need to be aware of it. We need to also make sure that people understand that we are information professionals. We're not, you know, silly people in a cardigan who make decisions willy-nilly, you know, just to put it in a very kind of goofy way. But, yeah, you know, uh, we are information professionals and we base our decisions on, um, on um, you know, documents and policies and guidelines. And, of course, we also need to talk uh, about the Australian Classification Board as well, which, obviously, if they make a decision, so books and graphic novels are books or publications. Publications in general are not classified, uh, but if they are classified by the classification board, then 
uh, that's binding and we need to follow because that's that's the law. Okay. So just to give you a little bit of an intro to, to that kind of thing and uh, some food for thought. Uh, and um, yeah, I think now James will take it or is it Rebecca first? One of them. Oh, no. Ah, it's me. It's just on me. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, you know, th this is a perfect example. So these are actually three of the books that were cl classified actually this year. Okay. Uh, so it, in Australia this year, uh, 15 publications were actually classified by the classification board so far. Um, two of them are manuals on explosives. We wouldn't have them at the library, so that's all right. One of them is a, is an anti-Semitic conspiracy field book, also not something that libraries would have, so that's okay. The other 12 things that have been classified this year are graphic novels. So graphic novels are vulnerable. We need to be aware of that. Uh, and uh, and we need to be aware of what gets classified as well. And perfect example uh, right there, let's talk about it, is a book that um, I've heard that some libraries have actually put in the adult collection uh, just to avoid any controversies. But that book is actually um, for teens, for teenagers. So it should be in the young adult or teen uh, collection. And in fact, then when it was classified by the classification board, it was classified as unrestricted, which means that anyone can read it. It may not be your thing, and that's fine. Just put it back on the shelf. It's not for you, but it may be for someone else. And that's the perfect example of something uh, that, you know, um, could have soft censorship, you know. And The Boys is one that it's def I should definitely flag as well. Uh, the, uh, the Boys was classified as Category 1. Unfortunately, that means that it's a graphic novel um, for adults. Uh, and so, you know, like rated R in films. And that means, unfortunately, in Australia, that in most states, it uh, it's uh, quite uh, restricted. It needs to be sealed in a wrapper. And in Queensland, it's actually banned, uh, uh, which I, I believe, uh, I think it's quite unfortunate uh, that a book for adults uh, in Australia in, is so severely restricted in most states and um, in Queensland is banned. And I think it's something that we should be critical of as well. Um, it's not a book for me. I tried to read it. I read the first volume, didn't like it, didn't read it anymore. But I will definitely defend that adults should be able to read it if they want. Next slide. OK. Um, following on from that, I we just wanted to touch on um, going into this first question the importance of having a good and strong collection development plan. Um, I was talking to a few people in my library recently and we're saying if there's anything good that's come out of all of uh, these recent um, issues in terms of people trying to censor and ban books, is that a lot of libraries have taken this opportunity to review their collection development plan or some of them even create a collection development plan. So it's very important to back yourself, um, back your decisions with good policy. So make sure that you um, review that plan and um, uh, work within it. Uh, we recommend um, explicitly including graphic novels in your collection development plans and policies um, for multiple reasons. Um, some of them we've discussed earlier that these are multimodal texts, they're great for um, 
for reluctant readers, um, but also just because they're popular titles. So we serve a community, the community wants to read these books, we should have those books for those people. And if it means putting in our collection development plan, graphic novels, manga, this is why we collect them, then let's just do that just to cut any issues around that. Also, um, if your collection development plan lists uh, review sources for uh, finding information on books, Sometimes, again, you have to go a little bit um, out, of, out of field because some of the more traditional review sources don't review graphic novels. There are some that are getting there, but we've just listed not at all a comprehensive list here, but a good starting point of some review sources for you to add. Um, of course, we're first there, but there's lots of other good ones as well. So uh, it's always worth checking these out. And then yeah, if you're wanting to put that specifically into your plan, it's a, a good idea. But if we go into the next slide, I'll speak specifically on the question that um, I got. So I'll let you read that while I read out the question that we got. Uh, we are currently in an age of frequent book challenges, especially those books that include LGBTQIA plus characters. In response to this, some libraries have chosen to move all items that include any controversial matter out of YA collection to avoid issues, but others have not. What are possible outcomes from both mindsets? So this quote is from someone that was dealing with this in the American library. Um, but if we go to the next slide, I've just done a really quick little breakdown of some of the possible outcomes. Um, I put controversial matter. I mean, that is how long is a piece of string. So um, uh, moving the titles, some of the things that could happen if we move titles from YA up into an adult section, um, those titles are not reaching their intended audience. Uh, as libraries, again, we want to put items in people's hands. Uh, these people are trying to find these items. They're wanting to consume them and read them. And if we're not getting them to people, we've kind of failed in that aspect. It's part of our readers advisory. It's part of our core business. So it'd be quite sad if people come in looking for items um, and they, they're not able to find them. Also on the flip side of that, what could happen is we're actually um, exposing patrons to uh, levels that they're not ready for. So we're doing the opposite of what we've tried to do if we're moving the title. So a team may look it up on the catalogue, talk to someone, find those titles that have now been shelved in the adult section, but they've been shelved next to actual adult titles um, that they might not be prepared for or ready for at that level at. So that's also something to consider. There's a reason that we file specific things in specific areas, and that's one of them. Um, so there's a, this is a much bigger topic um, behind that, but I also wanted to point out that um, most of us work, or some of us work in councils that uh, run these libraries, um, and councils are very risk adverse, and sometimes it's an ultimatum of move the title or get rid of it, because you're dealing with the politics of working within a council. So I've been given this ultimatum, and a lot of other people have with certain things. So if it's worth, if it's between moving a title up to adult, or getting rid of it, it's always worth moving it, because you still have it in the collection, it's still accessible, obviously it's not ideal, but then you can kind of fight that battle another day if you're wanting to keep it in the adult section. Um, a few tips if this is happening to you or some of the libraries around you. Um, just harping on that again, a strong collection development plan is important. Back yourself, back, um, you can talk to the collection librarian or the staff about um, why that should be in that section. Um, and, and in that, making your target aid ranges clear for staff and patrons. So. Uh, like you said before, um, and libraries, we often work within, I know my library services, 12 to 17 is our YA. So letting um, staff know that so that they can correctly help with readers' advisory. Um, also, if possible, maybe some signage for the public so that they um, understand that when they're browsing that section, that this is intended for that age range. Um, 
And if this is happening in your library service or, again, somewhere um, and you're not happy with what's happening and you're comfortable, um, you can always challenge that that's, um, that's happening. Um, these decisions shouldn't be made within silos. Like, they should be, uh, should be a conversation. Um, and then also you can always reach out for help as this is uh, kind of a thing that's been happening lately. So there's Alia, there's us at Alia Graphic that will always happy to help and then the freedom to read group. Yep, that's over to James to continue. Yes, as I removed to unmute. Um, the So one of the other questions we got was in regards to this censorship and classification of everything, where it, what does the library have responsibility for? Um, and it's, it's really important to understand this, and it's for the most part it is pretty clear. Um, the library is not responsible for censorship. The library has never been responsible for censorship, and in my opinion, should never be responsible for censorship. That is the role of the Australian Classification Board. The, they, they are the ones that that make the decisions about whether the book is is appropriate for society, whatever. All that the library is doing is making those books available, making not just books, uh, like all the items that the, that the Classification Board looks at. The library's job is to make it available. If the Classification Board says this is not something that should be made available, then the library doesn't make it available. And that's uh, so the library doesn't have responsibility for making those decisions. The library also doesn't have any requirement or responsibility to act on challenges. Um, the library may change to may, may choose to change where an item is kept or remove it from the collection, and there are a wide range of reasons why um, this might happen. Um, but unless the Australian Classification Board has made a ruling that it that affects where the library is keeping it. There is no requirement whether or not there's a challenge, whether or not people are saying it shouldn't be here, all this. There is no requirement for uh, for the library to, to act on those. Um, and again, how the library deals with those challenges, that comes down to having your collection development policy um, and how that's neat. What the library does have a responsibility for is to maintain that awareness of the classification status of items. And I think as Yogi's just put in the chat, uh, Alia is working on ways to improve the communication of classification decisions to uh, libraries so that it's easier for libraries to um, to do this. Um, and, but in the meantime, uh, they are listed on the um, classification board's website. So if there is something that you, um, that someone comes to you about and you're not sure, um, if you go to the Australian Classification Board website, you can look up if they have if they have reviewed it. If so, and it will say if it's not there, they probably haven't. If it's it will, uh, but otherwise it will say it's under review or it has been reviewed. And here is the uh, or assessed, I think, because there's sorry, it's assessed, and then if that's appealed, then it's reviewed. But so if it's a, if it is undergoing assessment or if it has been assessed and what the outcome was will be listed. Um, so that's um, a really useful way of doing it, um, and that is uh, the, the the library within a reasonable period of these decisions being made should be acting on those decisions. Um, so next slide. Um, the other part that um, people tend to ask about um, uh, that people often often wonder about is what the library's responsibility is for that access in the space. So if the book has been shelved in the adult collection um, because it's restricted. Um, the library does have the responsibility to ensure that 
how they manage their memberships for minors restricts borrowing as appropriate. So if you have self-service, then if they then if a minor or someone who is on a membership that that shouldn't be able to borrow these restricted items, if they put that into the self-service machine, it shouldn't issue it to them. If you are at the at, um, if it's a human um, scanning the items through, um, then it should flag on the system and the and the librarian, library technician, whoever it is, um, can say, uh, I can't you can't borrow this it is it's restricted all of this as far as access in the library um once again and we're going back to policies but not the collection development policy this time at least um so the policy about um behavior in the library and minors accessing the library if the policy says that there is a requirement for people under a certain for, for library users under a certain age to be um to be supervised um then that minimizes any responsibility the library has for the child accessing restricted materials that are in a collection that is not targeted to them so if they, if you have a kid going to an adult collection and getting the book and that's uh you know going to getting the boys for example and and reading it in the space if the library's uh, policy is that that minor should have been supervised then that's uh then the the library's responsibility for that is minimized because um the a parent or guardian should have been should have been supervising them and and ensuring that that didn't happen that said the library does have the responsibility to make sure that those restricted items are not in the in junior areas. So if you put a if you put the boys in in a in your junior graphic novels, then it doesn't matter if you've got a supervision thing or not. That's going to be a problem for you because it's a restricted title that you have specifically put with um, in, in a in a um, different collection. So, but hopefully that's pretty straightforward. Um, and if the if you do have more questions, because this is an this is a very important thing for libraries to get right. Um, you're welcome to again contact the um, uh, contact Allegraphic, contact the Freedom for Read committee, and just are there generally. Um, and I think there's one more thing that's just worth saying because it is something that gets talked about a bit, uh, or was a bit earlier in the year, um, was the relationship of the images in there and it's important to remember that comics and graphic novels there are no additional restrictions for censorship or classification for these over books that only contain text uh they so they're no should not be treated any differently simply because they contain images um that's we don't do that with um science textbooks we don't do that with um you know memoirs that have um plates of illustrations in there uh, or plates of uh, historical photos, anything like that. What we have, what the only time that we we seem to do that is with comics, and we shouldn't, uh, because there's no there's no legitimate reason for that um, through um, the the restrictions or requirements of of classification. So yeah, thanks. I Dan. think next we've got Jade. 
Awesome. Thanks so much, James. Um, so we had uh, this really great question from a creator that I'm actually a big fan of. So thank you. That's very exciting. Um, so the question is, I've been chatting with some Aussie creators who used to do mailing lists to libraries telling them of new releases that librarians really liked. However, recent changes to the library system saw a lot of these librarians no longer at the same jobs. What gives? So I can only speak from my experience with this one, um, but I could really resonate with this question um, being at my fifth library now. Um, so as we can see on the slide there, libraries, like all industries, really have faced lasting changes as a result of COVID. So there's been ripple effects um, and also retirements, which have caused really big sort of staffing change across the industry. Um, so a lot of positions were not filled again or even still are we're we're waiting on being filled at the moment. In addition to this, um, and kind of related, is there's been a real opening up of libraries to transferable skills from across industries. Um, so it's a really dynamic um, change for, at times for libraries at the moment, which is really exciting. But it also means that uh, there's a lot of time for librarians out there at the moment, unfortunately. So what we suggest is if you just go to the next slide, is if you're not getting a response from a particular contact or if you've been let know that someone is no longer at that library, we do recommend just keep contacting the library's generic contact details, hopefully until you get onto a person. Um, if not, though, um, we are so happy to assist creators who are having difficulty making contact with libraries and also contacting libraries who want to make contact with local creators so you can get in touch with us there. Um, it's not us being difficult. We're doing our best. Um, but, yeah, it's always really great to hear from creators and hopefully we can connect you to where you want to go. Okay, that's my turn. Uh, so we were also asked about e-platforms for comics. Um, there are four main platforms uh, that are most widely used and commonly used in Australia. Um, Borrow box is, is uh, they started fairly recently uh, with comics. Uh, they used to have comics before, but they weren't very well implemented on their app to, re to read. It was kind of painful, to be honest. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, now they're a little bit better. So, But it's still fairly new. Uh, Libby, Overdrive have been doing it for a long time. And so have Hoopla and Comics Plus. Uh, Comics Plus is also, it, it has been kind of renewed and rebranded because uh, there used to be a Comics Plus uh, app many years ago. Um, and then that was sold to a different company. And, and then, you know, they redeveloped the app and, uh, and it's with a different company now, which uh, I think it's Biblioteca that owns it. But anyway, it depends on your library and your budget. Uh, 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 which one you want to use. Uh, look at your budget, look at their business models as well, because they are different. So for example, with Comics Plus and Hoopla, you you pretty much get the whole catalog, uh, their whole catalog. So they have more than 20,000 comics each. Uh, and they have uh, um, simultaneous uh, loans as well, unlimited, simultaneous unlimited loans. Uh, how they charge you, though, it's a little bit different, uh, both of them. So it depends on your budget. Um, uh, Libby uh, it has a kind of hybrid model. 
because th- there is a package that you can buy that has you know uh, about five thousand, I think it is, maybe a little bit more uh, titles, and you buy that as a package. And again, you have simultaneous loans, uh, but then you can also buy individual licenses for different titles, like we do with eBooks. So uh, it depends on your uh, budget. Uh, and I also, I would also say, test them, uh, try them, because uh, some, in my opinion, some work better than others. I'm not here to endorse a particular app, though, you know, uh, so uh, so I don't want to uh, endorse a particular one. Uh, I will say, though, interestingly, I will say one thing, though, that Comics Plus uh, reached out to um, to us just recently uh, and, you know, suggested at least um, they they were after a, a, a list of suggested Australian titles that they could add to the app. And they uh, seem keen to have uh, more Australian comics in the app now that they're expanding here in Australia. So, which I thought was cool. I thought it was very cool. And uh, yeah, um, so hopefully we'll see more of that. And I think e-platforms and e-comics are definitely growing. And I can tell you another thing because I just read about it recently. Manga sales in in Japan, in the last five years, they've been breaking records. They've been selling more than ever, right? But sales of print manga have actually been declining and falling in for the last three years. But sales of digital manga have been growing and are growing uh, quite rapidly as well. So there's something really interesting in Japan going on where uh, manga is really going digital in a very big way. We're not seeing that still with Western comics, but um, but it's a trend that is there in Japan and something to be aware of, and uh, we'll see what happens in the future. Definitely interesting times. And, of course, uh, someone just mentioned Webtoons. Webtoons, uh, tapas, uh, all those kind of webtoon style, uh, webcomic platforms are doing really, really well. And of course, now we're seeing a lot of those, uh, also being, um, uh, available in print. So yeah, big. That's it for me. Excellent. I think, uh, now so, it's, uh, uh, before we, yeah. before we go, can, do you want to jump another slide, please? uh gabby because we yep. have run a bit long so want to get this done um and say as we've said right through um if you have questions if you have um anything uh that you want to talk to us about or if you're interested in in getting involved um please do get in touch um and i'm aware that the way we have run a bit bit long and um we'll have some we'll we'll, we'll have time for some questions but um it will probably go over the hour um at this point so uh if you if after this if you feel you have to head off that's fine um we'll probably go a bit longer but now we've got the uh the how to get in touch with us done so um so i i don't feel bad about that so now we'll now we'll get into some questions and i want to start with one that i have to say i'm terribly sorry um apparently we've we did miss a question in the thing um so it was about manga um and are there any recommendations for manga that is suitable for under 12s um it seems like every manga i pick up either includes uh graphic violence or sex slash romance 
Um, and it's from from Michael. So sorry that we missed that, Michael. Um, and anyone on the committee got? Uh, sure, got I'll some... tell you one of my favorites. Uh, cat manga is huge. Love cat manga, and uh, there's nothing cuter than cat manga. And um, my favorite cat manga is Sue and Tai Chan. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, the same trade actually has other series as well. I just wrote it there, Sue and Tai Chan. Uh, beautiful. Cats being cats, um, and uh, it's gorgeous. It's incredibly cute, totally innocent, completely all ages. But you have all the series as well. Um, uh, Yokai Watch is another one. Yotsuba is another one. And I'm sure that um, Marisa, yeah. Uh, Can you think of others? Uh, Cheese Sweet Adventure. Cheese Sweet Adventure does really well at my library. Oh, yes. Yeah. Speaking of cats. Yep. Yep. Five Worlds Um, is a great one. Yeah, it's it can be difficult to find them because most of the promotion and so forth we get here is for the ones that are young adults and adults. I do not know for certain because when I was in Japan, I was mostly focused on the ones targeted at teens since I was a high school teacher. But there's I think- a few like Sweetness and Lightning, I think is a pretty solid all ages read. Yeah. So I think what the, hopefully that's some some um, good uh, good ones to get you started there, Michael. And we might yeah. do the same with this as we were going to do with the uh, disability in comics. We might put a right, list yeah. of this on our blog afterwards, um, just to keep things moving, so we have have time for others. But hopefully that's enough to get you started. Um, we did have another question uh, that's already come through. Does Alia have a list of Australian graphic novels? I want to put a display together for Aussie Comic Book Day. Um, and we do have yearly uh, lists of um, Australian titles, I think, on our blog. Unless yep, the, I said that. Yep. Well, yeah, so that will we'll have the link for that. We'll also um, – I've I've noticed as we've been going, we've had lots of useful links um, sitting in the comments um, as we've been going. People people sharing resources, which is fantastic. Um, we'll collate them and we'll try and make sure that we include those when we put this recording out, so that we have uh, so that they're available um, like in the description on YouTube or however however it ends up happening. Um, and we'll just try and make sure we've we've got we've got those there. Um, so as I said at the start, um, if you before we start recording, if you don't want to um, have your voice on chat, if you, but you have a question, feel free to put it on the thing. But if there are any other questions, um, you're welcome to do it through the chat or turn on your mic and ask them. Um, so are there any questions at this point? Don't be shy. Either, either, <laughs> either generally or about stuff that we've covered already. Um, however... Uh, is there anything like fantastic fiction for graphic novels? Uh, if there is, please tell me. <laughs> um, I'm not aware of anything. Um, it would be really nice if uh, like there are, I believe there are some things that are more specialized, um, but they're usually not uh, as well laid out as and easy to use as fantastic fiction. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, uh, not really. I have to say, this is one actually, this is one thing that um, comicsology was actually pretty good uh, 
a pretty good website website for this kind of thing. And I very often uh, used to consult um, that website, the Comixology uh, website. Uh, but obviously, then Amazon bought Comixology, and and you know they folded Comixology into Amazon, and um, it's been a disaster. And there's no, I haven't found any website uh, like that. It's difficult to find one that is for everything, but you can at least check with some of the big publishers that will have their own new release schedule. Yeah, meaning yeah, manga nut. I'm thinking Viz and Yen Press, and I know there's others that I'm not yeah. remembering right now. But those specific websites will have the the new release schedule, and you'll be able to look through their catalog in, mm. which yeah. will in theory be split up by genres. And it, and that's even uh, not just manga too. The the other ones are you know. Everything from from DC and Marvel have have new release stuff on their website through to drawn and quarterly um, and fant um, fantagraphic stuff like that. They all have these are these are our new releases on their website. Even um, and for Australia, Gestalt Comics um, and uh, some of the micro publishers around the country. Um, they they list what the what new releases are. Um, publishers publishers like to do that. It is a lot of it is a lot of. Uh, legwork to to follow them all but that's um probably the best there is at this point um for, There's for also our blog our blog as well <laughs> yes we, re we um, list a lot of new releases every month um and i was just going to quickly mention too um if you're on edelweiss at all um that's working much more in the future but that's quite good to kind of see what's coming up in the next year mm -hmm. and little previews before publication yeah. Um, I find a few good lists and uh, like publishers will like, would like to like, here's our spring catalog and they'll put it on an ale website. So that can sometimes be quite helpful. Yeah. Um. So we had another question. Um, I'm really interested in graphic nonfiction for teaching purposes in my TAFE library. Any lists or collations? Uh, again, um, not that not that I'm really aware of. Uh, some the I believe the ALA is doing really good work on this. So that's the American Library Association. Their graphic novels and comics roundtable um, is doing good work on this for particular subjects. Um, I think they've got a decent one about graphic medicine and stuff like that. But yeah, um, I'm not aware of anything that's that's uh, collating it um, effectively across all of nonfiction. Uh, we we often include uh, nonfiction. Um, titles uh, and I'm, I'm very particularly interested in non-fiction graphic novel because it's actually most of the graphic novels that I read are, are, are non-fiction probably uh, so we do often include them in our list as well in our monthly roundup of new titles but no we don't have a list as such yeah. maybe something to do uh, you know uh, but um, yeah what We'll think about it. Maybe, maybe something to do. But it's the end of the year, and <laughs> things are piling up. Mm. But yeah, uh, I'm just saying. So, a few comments. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was also a question from Sally, uh, who worked in a K to two school library and wanted to expand the graphic novel collection and would be interested yep. in any book list. Um, for graphic novels for younger readers. Uh, it's really exciting because there are sort of more graphic novels coming out for that, you know, yeah. younger um, 
uh, reading group. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, there's Hello Twigs. Um, that is, yeah. yeah. Um, there's another cute one about ghosts called Fitz and Cleo. Um, so, yeah, so there is more coming out um, for this age group. <laughs> Again, I feel like it's another list that we have to make. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, um, you know, having said all that, like there are a lot of resources out there as well. And and yeah. um, you obviously have a look at that website and the kind of things that we put on our blog um, and, and um, the lists that, uh, you know, the titles that we list there every month. Um, and then, because of they, course, uh, are notables for Australian titles as well. So the notable Australian graphic novels. So we've been doing it now for three years. And, you know, uh, so those lists are there. Uh, and then, of course, another great resource as well, if you're getting started with a graphic novel collection, for example, is uh, No Flying, No Tights. Um, has is an excellent resource by the way an excellent website that's been going since 2002 and uh and they have some core collection lists as well i just put the the link um in the chat and they have yeah, some core collection list. listing you can filter by genre and age range and such too yeah so uh you know there are a lot of resources out there and again you know uh, as I said before, get involved with the group because we kind of uh, share these ideas and resources and we have these kind of conversations all the time. And that way you can contribute to it and we can do more things as well, you know, and, and cover a lot more ground. Uh, uh, but also, you know, if you can't get involved with the group because time, hey, where does it go? But, uh, you know, if you can't get involved with the group, uh, but you have a burning question kind of thing, uh, email us as well. You know, we're always, um, we often get questions and uh, then we talk in the group and then we answer them. So, um, yeah. and I want to just given all the fantastic stuff we've had in the, um, in the, all the, the resources listed, if you come across something, that would be a fantastic resource. Please get in touch with us for that as well. Um, we'd love to. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to be able to push, um, get it out further. If if you come across something um, that you're finding useful, chances are others will as well. So not just with questions, but if we're we're always happy to to hear about stuff that we can we can um, uh, resources that we can we can boost to other libraries. Absolutely. Uh, the the purpose of this group is to create resources for everyone. Um, you know, and to and make to promote all the resources. resources freely available to everyone yeah. uh, as much as we can. Um, mm. So, comics librarianship is a growing field, and and it's one that uh, uh, the market's growing as well. And uh, and uh, you know, one that uh, we hope that uh, we can contribute to, and that um, the more people that we can have in the group, the better as well, because that that will allow us to cover more ground and from different angles as well. Yeah. Well, uh, 
let's if there are any other questions put them in the chat now while i say thank you to the rest of the committee thank you big thank you to gabby for running the the slides that we've been using um big thank you to jade for managing um the responses in the chat um big thank you to uh, everyone else uh, just being involved the research that went into to answering the questions uh managing all of that and thank you to all of the uh all the folks who came and listened um and participated uh during the session um and thank you to everyone who's listening to the recording afterwards um we do try and make sure that we we keep we get recordings up because we know that uh uh library uh schedules can be can be difficult to work work around so the time was never going to be great for everyone but hopefully we've we're uh, by putting it up as a recording um we're making it accessible uh, as accessible as possible um so yeah thank you everyone for the time and um look forward to look forward to hearing from you uh, or seeing you at, at our um future events thanks for listening to Graphic podcast hit the subscribe button on our youtube page and subscribe to our podcast on apple podcasts you can also follow us on twitter at Graphic. Email us at aliagraphicinfo at gmail.com and check our blog, aliagraphic.blogspot.com for updates, monthly roundups of news and new release titles.